Welcome to the Defender Bible Study, a weekly encouragement to equip the body of Christ through the study of Scripture and prayer to manifest the gospel to orphans and vulnerable children around the world. This podcast is a ministry of Lifeline Children's Services, where we believe that defending the fatherless begins by being rooted in God's Word. It's Monday, December 19th, 2022, and I'm coming to you from Birmingham, Alabama. Today we continue our study on the book of Genesis, and we'll be looking specifically at Genesis chapter 47, verse 13, through chapter 48, verse 22. And today in our passage, we will see the blessings of God, both the unexpected present blessings, the past blessings working their way in the present, and God's future blessing. You see, the book of Genesis is full of blessings, starting in Genesis 1 and 2, when it talks about the blessing of creation and that God blessed creation and he saw that it was good. Genesis as a book in the Bible actually contains one out of six of all the biblical references to blessing. So most of the biblical references to blessing in any book is the book of Genesis. And this is what we learn in the Bible from the word blessing. First, a blessing is anything that God gives that makes us fully satisfied in him. But then next, it's anything that draws us closer to relationship with God. We also learn that anything that draws us away from God is not a blessing. We see that all blessings ultimately flow from from the Lord and that God blesses to make himself known on the earth. You see, God works his plans and purposes to ensure that people through all generations are blessed through the work of Jesus Christ. And so all blessings in the Bible are about making God's name great and drawing others into relationship with him. It's been said, blessing is not about getting more from God, it's about getting more of God. And so today our passage is broken into two parts. Part one, or Genesis 47, 13, God's unexpected blessing, but then we see in chapter 48, a father's blessing. So let's look at this passage before we look at it with a little bit more detail. Starting in verse 13 of Genesis chapter 47. Now there was no food in all of the land, for the famine was very severe, so that the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan languished by the reason of the famine. Now I hope even as we look at verse 13 that you will recognize the difference when the people of Israel are described. So the people of Egypt, the famine, it's very severe. They are languishing. We pick up in verse 14, and Joseph gathered up all the money that was found in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan in exchange for the grain that they bought. And Joseph brought the money into Pharaoh's house. And when the money was all spent in the land of Egypt and the land of Canaan, all the Egyptians came to Joseph and said, give us food. Why should we die before your eyes? For our money is gone. And Joseph answered, give your livestock and I will give you food in exchange for your livestock if your money is gone. So they brought their livestock to Joseph, and Joseph gave them food in exchange for the horses, the flocks, the herds, and the donkeys. He supplied them with food in exchange for all their livestock that year. And when that year was ended, they came to him the following year and said to him, We will not hide from my Lord that our money is all spent. The herds of livestock are my Lord's. There is nothing left in the sight of my Lord but our bodies and our land. Why should we die before your eyes, both we and our land? Buy us and our land for food, and with our land we will be servants to Pharaoh, and give us seed that we may live and not die, and that the land may not be desolate. So Joseph bought all the land of Egypt for Pharaoh, for all the Egyptians sold their fields because the famine was severe on them. The land became Pharaoh's. And the people, he made servants of them from one end of Egypt to the other. Only the land of the priest he did not buy, for the priest had a fixed allowance from Pharaoh and lived on the allowance that Pharaoh gave them. Therefore, they did not sell their land. 
Then Joseph said to the people, Behold, I have this day bought you and your land for Pharaoh. Now here is seed for you, and yet you shall sow the land. And at the harvest you shall give a fifth to Pharaoh, and four fifths shall be your own, a seed for the field, and as for food for yourselves and your households, and as for food for your little ones. And they said, You have saved our lives. May it please the Lord. We will be servants to Pharaoh. So Joseph made it a statue concerning the land of Egypt, and it stands to this day that Pharaoh should have a fifth of the land. The priest alone did not become Pharaoh's. Thus Israel settled in the land. Listen to the uh, contrast here in verse 27. They settled in the land of Egypt, in the land of Goshen, and they gained possessions in it and were fruitful and multiplied greatly. So you see that the people of Egypt, the famine was severe and they languished, but yet the people of God, they gained possessions and they were fruitful and they multiplied greatly. And Jacob lived in the land of Egypt 17 years, the days of Jacob The years of his life were 147 years. And when the time drew near that Israel must die, he called his son Joseph and said to him, If now I have found favor in your sight, put your hand under my thigh and promise to deal kindly and truly with me. Do not bury me in Egypt, but let me die with my fathers. Carry me out of Egypt and bury me in their burying place. He answered, I will do as you have said. And he said, Swear to me. And he swore to them. Then Israel bowed himself into the head of his bed. Chapter 48 says, And after this Joseph was told, Behold, your father is ill. So he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And it was told to Jacob, Your son Joseph has come to you. Then Israel summoned his strength and sat up in bed. And Jacob said to Joseph, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan and blessed me and said to me, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you and I make you a company of peoples and will give this land to your offspring after you for an everlasting possession. Basically the covenant language of God to the patriarchs. Verse 5, and now your two sons who were born to you in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt are mine. Ephraim and Manasseh shall be mine as Reuben and Simeon are. Ultimately, Jacob was adopting the sons of Ephraim and Manasseh. Verse 6, and the children that you fathered after them shall be yours. They shall be called the name of your brothers in their inheritance. As for me, when I came to Paddan, to my sorrow, Rachel died in the land of Canaan on the way when there was still some distance to go to Ephrath. And I buried her on the way to Ephrath. That is Bethlehem. When Israel saw Joseph's sons, he said, Who are these? Joseph said to his father, They are my sons, whom God has given me here. And he said, Bring them to me, please, that I may bless them. Now the eyes of Israel were dim of age, so they could not see. So Joseph brought them near to him, and he kissed them and embraced them. And Israel said to Joseph, I never expected to see your face, and behold, God has let me see your offspring also. Then Joseph removed them from his knees, and he bowed himself with his face to the earth. And Joseph took them both, Ephraim in his right hand towards Israel's left hand, and Manasseh in his left hand towards Israel's right hand, and he brought them near him. And Israel stretched out his right hand and laid it on the head of Ephraim, who was the younger, and his left hand on the hand of Manasseh, crossing his hands, for Manasseh was the firstborn. And he blessed Joseph and said, The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys. And in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth." When Joseph saw that his father laid his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it it displeased him, and he took his father's hand to move it from Ephraim's hand to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Not this way, my father, since this is the firstborn. Put your right hand on his head. But his father refused and said, I know, my son, I know. He shall become a people, and he also will be great. Nevertheless, his younger brother shall be greater than he, and his offspring shall become a multitude of nations. So he blessed them that day, saying, By you Israel will pronounce blessings, saying, You make you as Ephraim and as Manasseh. Then he put Ephraim before Manasseh, 
Then Israel said to Joseph, Behold, I'm about to die, but God will be with you and will bring you again to the land of your fathers. Moreover, I have given to you rather than to your brothers one mountain slope that I took from the hand of the Amorites with my sword and with my bow. We see the Egyptians are still stuck in the midst of this severe famine. The famine was, again, very severe, and the people languished. Joseph had interpreted seven years of plenty and seven years of famine, and they've certainly come true. And the people here, as we pick up, are only in year two of the famine. At the beginning of the famine, the people had paid for grain. Now we see in verse 15 that they're paying livestock because their money is spent. Then in verse 18, there's nothing else to exchange for sustenance but to give up their land and ultimately themselves. The people were desperate when they sold themselves and everything they had just to be able to eat. The people were living in fear, anguish, and they ultimately needed a savior. And look at the pattern of sin and grace that we see since the fall in Genesis 3. Over and over, we see that sin results in God's abundant grace. First, there's the pattern of sin. We see that man is utterly sinful and he rejects relationship with God through disobedience in the garden. Murder outside of the garden where where one brother murders another. Pride and self-indulgence at the Tower of Babel. Utter wickedness leading to the flood. Adultery in order to see God's promise fulfilled with Hagar. Deceit to steal a birthright. Ephesians 2.4, but God. Although we are sinful, God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. So look now at the pattern of grace. First, we see man is utterly sinful. He rejects relationship with God through disobedience in the garden. However, God clothes his people and promises that the snake crusher named Jesus would come. Genesis 3.15. Murder was outside of the garden, yet the Lord gives Adam and Eve another son, Seth, to continue a new line from Adam. There's pride and self-indulgence at Babel. And the grace is that God mixes the language in order to humble the people so they see their only hope is not in themselves but in the Lord. There's utter wickedness that leads to a flood, yet God's grace, he spares creation through Noah and the ark. There's adultery in order to see God's promise fulfilled with Hagar, yet God's grace is greater and Sarah has Isaac. There's deceit to steal a birthright. Yet God's grace is that Jacob's 12 sons would make up the nation of God's people. But we also see the life of Joseph and his brothers, and it begets and it continues the sin and grace pattern. Joseph was prideful and sold into slavery by his brothers. Yet God's grace, Joseph is able to provide sustenance to his family and to fulfill God's promises. We even see in our passage that they were flourishing. But then ultimately... We see that the people of Israel don't always flourish in the land of Egypt. Actually, the the scene would change and the people of Israel would be in slavery and the Egyptians would be free. And yet God provides for his people through his grace and ultimately leads them out of slavery from Egypt. So we look back at Genesis 47, 11. It says, Joseph settled his father and his brothers and he gave them a possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of the Ramesses, as Pharaoh had commanded. God is providing for his people in the midst of famine. God is faithful to his promise from Genesis chapter 12, choosing to give his people abundance in the midst of famine. At this point in time, the Egyptians treated the Israelites well, giving them land and a place to live. And so God blesses the Egyptians because of it, saving their lives. God's grace to the nations through his people. God in his grace and mercy provided an unexpected blessing to the Israelites, letting them live in abundance during a time of great famine so that ultimately God's name was made greater. Beloved, 
But we see the real-life drama of God's salvation being played out here in the life of God's people. Like we said later in Exodus, the new Pharaoh would forget Joseph and the Israelites and would literally, they would go from abundance to poverty and desperation as they became the slaves. The pattern of sin. But in the same way that our sin has sold us into abject poverty and slavery, Moses, though, frees Israel from bondage. Moses, with the power of God, frees the people from Israel's bondage. The greater Moses. King Jesus ultimately comes to save us from a much greater bondage. And beloved, this is what we celebrate at Christmas. The emancipator, Savior, and Messiah has come. The greater Joseph, the greater Moses. God's grace is greater than our sin. No matter the need or want or abundance or comfort, the Lord is using his people to be an instrument of his praise and his glory because we ultimately have hope that is not found in our current situation. And so, beloved, remember, no matter where you are today, living in fear, living in anguish from great loss, living with doubt through life's many decisions, afflicted by the deceitfulness or sin, or just bitter, remember this world of sorrow We always have hope that in Christ, this is not our home. The Christ follower has great hope, the unexpected blessing, that the life that we experience here is the worst that we will ever experience. Every beautiful sunset and moment of joy is just a small taste of the intense joy and beauty we will find when we are reunited with Christ. But also remember, beloved, number two, God's blessings come in all shapes and sizes, and many times they are unexpected but they are always meant for our good and ultimately for God's glory. So no matter where we find ourselves today, in great desperation or in blessings of abundance in the midst of desperation, may we spend our lives to make much of Jesus. But then we come to the second part in chapter 48, and that's a father's blessing. See, at the end of chapter 47, Jacob asked Joseph to do what usually would have been the task of the firstborn, verse 30, to bury the patriarch. And maybe Jacob was drawing from his own life with Esau where the the birth order was reversed. Or maybe even at the end of his life, Jacob was still only loving Rachel and her firstborn son, Joseph. No matter the thought process here, rather sinful and wicked, or rather truly trying to seek the Lord with Jacob, we see a very flawed man in Jacob extending a blessing only because of God's abundant grace had been so richly extended to him. Jacob had been a deceiver Yet the Lord had provided for him over and over and over again. In chapter 48, verse 3, Jacob begins to recount the blessing of the Lord in his life. And then he does something unexpected. Jacob adopts Joseph's sons as his own, elevating them to the status of Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah. Jacob is adopting Joseph's two sons in the place of Joseph, whom Jacob thought he had lost. In other words, Jacob, the flawed deceiver, recognizes the manifold blessing of God to not only preserve Joseph's life in Egypt, but to use Joseph's life to bless the nation and his family and to ultimately see Joseph multiply just like God had promised through his blessing. So Jacob adopts and he gives Ephraim and Manasseh the status of heirs. What a picture of adoption and of God's salvation to us. Not only does he adopt us and accept us, but the Lord Jesus makes us heirs. So like his father Isaac, we see that Jacob's sight is growing dim. Maybe that's a a biological trait, a genetic disability. But for whatever reason, he cannot see his grandson. So he has to draw them close in to see them. 
And then Jacob celebrates God's enormous blessing to them. Jacob gives God glory, realizing God didn't have to restore his family. If Jacob had died and never saw Joseph and never knew of his grandsons, God still would have been good. You see, God loves his people and he blesses them. Bringing Joseph back into Jacob's life resulted in Jacob giving praise and worship to God. God got the glory, and through the circumstance, Jacob grew closer to God. God had richly blessed Jacob, and so he sings a blessing of praise in verses 16 and 17 as he reminds that that this is the God whom his fathers walked and, and the God that had been the shepherd all the day of his life, the angel who had redeemed him from evil. And he wants that same blessing to be upon the boys, a father's blessing. Then for the fifth time in Genesis, the younger Ephraim receives the blessing of the firstborn. Ultimately, Manasseh and Ephraim would share equally in the inheritance of Jacob, replacing their father Joseph and Levi, the priestly brother. However, Ephraim would later become one of the leading tribes of Israel, bigger than Manasseh and Joshua the leader who would ultimately lead God's people into the promised land? Oh, Joshua was of the tribe of Ephraim. We know that Joshua's name means Savior. We know that the name of Jesus means Savior. Beloved, the blessing was that a Savior would come to rescue the people from slavery out of Egypt. But out of the tribe of Judah, out of brother Judah, would come a much greater Savior, a much greater rescuer. Jesus the Christ. And that's why at Christmas we praise, oh, we praise the Messiah. We praise the King. We praise the heir of Judah. Oh, we praise the Lion of Judah. But then we see the greatest blessing that the Father gives to his children. And that's when in verse 21 he says, God be with you. Jacob the deceiver is about to die. He is tricked. He's deceived, he's stolen, he's run away, and he's continually stopped short of following God's commands. But in his last days, he realizes the greatest blessing is the presence of God with his people. Jacob's ultimate hope for his children and his descendants, and beloved, ultimately us, is the great presence of an almighty abiding God. And what more could we want? And at Christmas, we have Emmanuel, God with us. 1 Corinthians 3, 16-17 reminds us that we are the temple of the Holy God, the dwelling place of God. Verse 16, do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Beloved, this is not our home, but we must spread the message of Christ and we must spread the message of our true home knowing that we have the richest blessing of God, unexpected blessings, but also a father's blessing, which ultimately is the greatest blessing, and that's the presence of God. Thanks for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. This week we're praying for foster care, adoption, and specifically waiting children throughout our country. We know that there are somewhere between 125 and 150,000 waiting children who are in foster care who are available for adoption. So let's pray for these children and let's pray that they would find homes. Lord, we ask that churches who are already engaged with Lifeline regarding foster care adoption would, would move uh, in, in their places, would move to get engaged with finding homes, forever families for America's waiting children. 
And we pray for more churches to become engaged and more churches to be passionate about finding these same forever families for these waiting children in foster care. But Lord, ultimately, we pray for the children who are waiting, currently residing in foster care. We pray for permanency and for opportunities to bring them gospel hope. We pray for those who will not be matched with forever families, but they will need to build their own independence outside of that system. And we pray for programs like Heritage Builders that are working with kids that are aging out, that you give them true hope and an opportunity for life on the other side. Lord, we pray for families who are currently considering this as a calling for them to step out in faith. And we pray that they would stay in the process and stay on course. And Lord, for the children who may already be in a family, we just pray for them as they get ready to welcome new siblings through foster care and adoption. And Father, for the approved families who are currently searching and being considered for a match, we pray that you give them patience and love and that you would prepare them. And Lord, we pray for strong wraparound and support services for families during the match process, placement and post-placement, finalization and aftercare support. Would you bring the church to bear to wrap around these families who have been faithful to adoption? And Lord, we praise you for strong partnership churches willing to highlight the specific need for families to adopt older children, sibling groups, and children with special needs. And we ultimately pray that children would find a home, that you would set the lonely in families, and that you would use us, your people who are called according to your name, to be about the gift of restoration and redemption and reconciliation as we care for the needy, as we care for the child in foster care, as we care for those who are vulnerable, as we care for vulnerable women, and ultimately, as we seek to make your name great among the nations. It's in your great name that we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks again for joining us for the Defender Bible Study. If you enjoy making this podcast a part of your weekly routine, we'd love for you to take a moment to subscribe, rate, and review the Defender Bible Study to make it easier for more people to find. For more resources and information on how you and your church can partner with Lifeline, please visit us at lifelinechild.org. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter by searching for Lifeline Child. You can email us directly at info at lifelinechild.org. We look forward to seeing you again next week for the Defender Bible Study.